0: The American History Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3, European Empires in the New World, Part 2. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Worswick. All right, welcome back. Now, this episode was originally recorded and released back in 2017 in celebration of our third anniversary. And because I'm a better podcaster than I was back then, also I've got a fantastic sound engineer working to make me sound presentable. I'm re-recording the episodes from that first season, some of which had very bad sound. This one might have been the worst of them. So hopefully you'll find this episode to have great sound quality as well as some wonderfully informative content. As always, if you like the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It does help people find the show, and the more listeners we have, the better. Now, another way that you can support the show is to join our Patreon group. Just head over to www.theamericanhistorypodcast.com, and down at the bottom of the page, you'll find a button which says Patreon on it. Click that, and you'll be taken to our homepage. For just $5 a month, you get access to the episodes, commercial-free, a week before the general public. You also get transcripts of the episodes, a bibliography for each season, and access to the Patreon-only series 1983, the year the world almost ended. Lastly, from time to time, I plan on putting out a bonus episode that's available only to Patreons, the first of which I'm working on right now. So please, head over there and join us. If you're into the social media thing, head over to Twitter and follow me. My handle is at AmericanHisCast, You can also join the Facebook group, which I recently created. I'm hoping to build a community there where we can have civil and honest discourse about various topics in American history. All right, so let's get started. Today, we are going to continue our discussion of European empires, first with France, and then we'll move on to New Spain, the British, and then we'll wrap things up with a brief discussion of the Dutch. Now, of all the European powers, the French were the most successful in creating an effective trading relationship with the Indians. That does not mean the other powers never traded with the Indians, they did. But generally speaking, the French were more effective than the British and the Spanish. Now, as a matter of fact, historian Richard White in his 1991 book, The Middle Ground, notes that in the Great Lakes region, where weak state authority existed, a middle ground arose through a gradual process of mutual accommodation between the Algonquin-speaking Indians and the French at first, but later the British and the Americans also took part. I think the important point here is the lack of state power meant, at least for the Europeans, that they could not use the state to bend the native peoples to their will. Thus, they had to rely upon negotiation and peaceful trading. As the famous economist Murray Rothbard would have noted, the Europeans could not rely upon the political method to meet their goals. Thus, they had to rely on the economic method the latter being the more peaceful of the two choices. Now, English settlers in general would negotiate when they were in a position of weakness, and then, once their positions had changed, the English would seek to dominate and remove the Indians. Again, this was not always the case, but in general it was. At the same time, the Spanish tended towards attempting to Christianize the native peoples and then use them as forced labor. So back to the French. They became great gift-givers, which was key to getting... Um, getting on with the American Indians who based intertribal relationships on gift-giving, at least during the 17th century. This is a good time to note that here in North America, when dealing with Natives, trade was not seen as a transaction. It was not seen as contractual. Instead, American Indians saw trade as a continuing process. The ending of a trade relationship could be seen as the equivalent of a declaration of war. Now, what was it that was traded Well, the most important item was beaver pelts. The beaver trade led to the exploration of much of North America, as there was a heavy demand for fur in European fashion. For their part, American Indians gained firearm, alcohol, pots, glass beads, and other items that they could not or simply did not make. Now, another aspect of the fur trade was the cur de bois, or the runners of the woods. And I'm sure I messed that up. It's probably courier de bois. Uh, But they're runners of the woods. Rough frontiersmen who sought to tap into the lucrative trade in furs. Now, their relations uh, with the native peoples, they were complicated. Um, sometimes peaceful, as the Indians were essential to the trade. It was they who trapped the animals and prepared the skins. The relationship could become violent from time to time. Um, finally, there was also a sexual dimension to this relationship, as sometimes the, uh, the courier would end up taking a native wife. Part of the uh, reason Native women in North America were willing to marry Frenchmen was that, at least in the case of the Algonquin peoples, women outnumbered men. This could be due to warfare, but the effect meant polygamy was common. If a woman preferred not to be involved in a polygamous relationship, this was the way to avoid it. Now, another important dimension or uh, group were the Jesuits. Now, these Catholic missionaries sought to convert Indians and save them from the fur trappers. Uh, One particularly interesting thing about the Jesuits is that they sought conversion through example, not force. Some of the Jesuit missionaries were brutally killed by the American Indians. Although, in the eyes of American Indians, Jesuits uh, held up best to torture and were thus more respected than other European groups. Lastly on the Jesuits, they not only played a role in conversion, Um, But they were also explorers and geographers. So these guys were multifaceted and pretty important. You know, as for the French, they did conduct diplomacy with the American Indians. The French made friends with the Algonquins and Hurons, ensuring the survival of Quebec. But they weren't friends with every group of Indians. The Iroquois League in upstate New York prevented the French from spreading south into New York and parts of the Ohio Valley. Now, the impact of the French and the British on the eastern woodlands Indians was that they, the natives, were decimated by disease, um, gun, gun warfare, and alcoholism. Many American Indians came to see contact with Europeans as dangerous. European weapons deeply intensified American Indian warfare in the eastern woodlands during the last three decades of the 17th century. This resulted in the temporary depopulation of the Ohio Valley as a result of the Beaver Wars, where the Iroquois, who aligned with the English and the Dutch, waged war on the Huron and the Algonquin tribes. You also had the Mourning Wars, where the Iroquois attacked neighboring tribes to replace people who were lost due to war disease or to avenge the loss of husbands, thus the name Mourning. Now later, in King William's War in um, 1697, the French armed the Hurons and the Algonquins, and the Iroquois were forced into neutrality the Iroquois turned to diplomacy with the Europeans after 1700, and by the 1760s, the Indians in the region agreed not to kill each other. The natives were hoping that by agreeing to band together and eliminate alcohol, they could revitalize American Indian life and protect them against European encroachment. Okay, so that brings us to New Spain. Now first, let's look at their relationship with the Pueblo Indians in the American Southwest, and specifically, I want to talk about um, Don Juan de Oñate, the conquistador, who established the Spanish province of New Mexico in 1598. Spanish authorities instructed him to be less harsh with the American Indians than Cortes and Pizarro had been. Sadly, the reality is the cruelty continued. In July 1598, Oñate demanded Pueblo chiefs swear allegiance to Spain and convert to Catholicism. Now, while some complied, many did not. Thus, Oñate retaliated against the Pueblos at and killed 1,000 natives and enslaved 500 others. Further, male captives had a foot cut off. The cruelty, however, would not be tolerated forever. In 1606, Oñata was recalled to Mexico City with regards to his conduct. He ended up completing plans for the founding of Santa Fe, resigned his position, then he was tried and convicted. He ended up going back to Spain, where he died in 1626. Today, Oñate is a controversial figure in New Mexico and far West Texas, understandably so. In 2006, the city of El Paso erected a statue sculpted by John Hauser of Oñate. The 34-foot-tall statue, which cost $2 million and a decade to create, was unveiled in April 2007. If you go to Twitter, you'll see a photo of the statue, which I've posted. And I'll also put that, by the way, on Facebook. In the end, the Pueblos submitted to Spanish demands for labor and food, especially during drought conditions. As for Santa Fe, it became the capital of the province of New Mexico in 1610. The governor's mansion remains the oldest public building in the United States. There is a ton of history up in that area, and if you get the chance to visit, I highly recommend it. Santa Fe, Taos, and really New Mexico is one of my favorite places on earth. Um, the second aspect of Spanish relations was the encomienda system. Now this system, uh, this was a system in which the American Indians were forced to do unpaid labor to build roads, buildings, and other infrastructure. Furthermore, Pueblo villages were required to pay tribute to Spanish leaders. And of course, when one thinks of Spain and the New World, we think of the efforts of the Spanish to forcibly convert American Indians to Christianity. Franciscan missionaries founded the mission system in New Mexico in the 17th century, later in California and Texas in the 17th and 18th centuries, Indians were forbidden from practicing American Indian religion, forcing the practice uh, to go underground. Droughts, combined with the high mortality rate amongst Indians, helped to undermine their faith in Christianity. Now, Tucson in modern-day Arizona was first established as a Spanish outpost in 1701. A few years later, in 1716, a mission system was established in East Texas, including the building that would become known as the Alamo in San Antonio. Of course, missions already existed in what would become Texas, just outside of modern-day El Paso, Arisleta, Socorro, and San Elizario. However, I've talked about Texas history quite extensively in Season 2, so I want to focus more on California. Spain, becoming concerned about uh, British and Russian expansion in northwestern America after 1763, sought to settle Alta California to effectively control the region. Thus, Father uh, Junipero Serra found the first mission in San Diego in 1769. Eventually, 20 missions followed. Four presidios, or forts, protected the missions, and El Camino Real connected them. Now, the road went from San Diego in the south to San Francisco in the north. Speaking of the missions, the architecture came to influence the buildings, uh, the building, I should say, of many schools, homes, and public buildings throughout California's history. Now, one of the things that we most associate with the American West is the cowboy. However, vaqueros, horsemen, and cattle herders um, are what they are based on. They arrived in California from Spanish Mexico in 1769, and they worked the numerous ranches in the region. They are the ones who transmitted the cowboy culture that is the foundation of the American cowboy and which is most associated with Texas. And there were other cultural traits, such as corridos or Mexican songs and ballads that blended with Anglo culture to influence the Southwestern portion of the United States. You also had intermarriage, which led to a distinctive Latin American culture of mestizos or a mixture of American Indian and Spanish children. Out of this, you also get a case system, or the casta. Um, This emerged first in New Mexico and then elsewhere, and was similar to what existed in Mexico, the Caribbean, and South America. A major point of history was Pope's Rebellion, a.k.a. the Pueblo Revolt of 1680. Now, the Pueblo, after suffering under Spanish rule for about a century, finally rebelled and expelled the Spanish from New Mexico for over a decade. This was the first successful revolt against the European Empire by Native Americans. They killed half of the Spanish clergy and over 350 settlers. There were three major causes of this. First, famine in 1666 led to massive suffering amongst the natives. The second is the Pueblo Indians were attacked by Apache and Navajo tribes who were retaliating against Spanish aggression against their people. Third, the Spanish authorities punished Pueblos for backsliding from Christianity to their native religions after major epidemics wiped out Pueblo villages. Spanish authorities eventually regained control in the early 1690s, but another full-scale revolt erupted in 1696. In order to regain authority, Spanish officials eventually had to compromise on the issue of religion. American Indians were now allowed to practice indigenous beliefs so long as they attended Catholic Mass. As in Latin America, American Indians in the Southwest developed a hybrid of Catholic and indigenous religious beliefs and practices. Lastly, Albuquerque, founded in 1706 by Spanish soldiers, did not employ the encomienda system, and Indian religion was tolerated as long as they attended Catholic Mass. Finally, Spain introduced horses and sheep, which transformed the region economically. They also introduced schools, hospitals, and the printing press. However, as we saw elsewhere, everywhere the Europeans went, Disease came and devastated the native populations. Approximately 90% of the Pueblo Indian population died between 1550 and 1680. Okay, I'm going to briefly discuss the English here, as there are several episodes coming in Season 1 which deal with that topic. First, the pilgrims in Plymouth Bay established fairly good relations um, with Chief Massasoit. Uh, I hope I said that right, of the Wampanoag tribe. A native named Squanto served as an effective intermediary. Now they, the Wampanoags, taught the pilgrims how to grow and find food. The pilgrims purchased land from the Wampanoags for the creation of Plymouth Plantation. Again, this is something we discuss in depth in one of the upcoming episodes, but suffice it to say, the idea that Europeans simply stole all the land and screwed the natives over in each and every case is um, incorrect. It's a bit more complicated than that. Anyway, the first Thanksgiving between the Pilgrims and the Natives was held in 1621, and the peace between the two groups would last for 54 years. You also had Puritans in Massachusetts Bay Colony and other New England colonies. Some Puritans tried conversion of the American Indians to uh, and cultural assimilation in what were called praying towns. Over a dozen settlements were established, and a number of American Indians were converted. Now, after King Philip's War, A few of these remained intact with a degree of autonomy. Of course, eventually you have conflicts with the Indians over land, resources, and political boundaries. This led to confrontations such as Medicom's War, also known as King Philip's War, as well as the Pequot War. Now again, I don't want to get too deep into this, but while there are confrontations, not all of the colonies and colonists viewed natives in a negative light, nor were all relations bad. For example, the Quakers, who were pacifists, for the most part had good relations with the American Indians. Okay, finally we have the Dutch. In the 17th century, the Dutch East India Company established the colony of New Netherlands along the Hudson River Valley in modern-day New York. They set up a fur trade network with the Iroquois. Again, going against the narrative that all Europeans stole land from the natives, Peter Minuit... Um, purchased Manhattan from local American Indians to serve as a defensive fortress. Eventually, unregulated trade resulted in violent wars between the Dutch and coastal American Indians. Okay, so that's all I've got for today. Um, If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you acquire your favorite podcasts. I would also greatly appreciate it if you were to give us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps folks find the show. You can also find us and rate us on Podchaser. So, once again, thank you very much, and I'll see you in the next episode. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.